Well, we are in our fourth week of the biblical life lessons. In other words, what does God say about, and you fill in the blank. Now, so far we've covered uh, what does God say about godliness, fear, marriage, and so we now come to the next logical step in that progression. Now, that's husbands. Now, I know there's a lot of jokes and skits and things about husbands, and I'm sure some of you can share great stories about them. In fact, Ken and I were kind of laughing last week about our wives and marriage and all that kind of stuff, right? Happy, happy. <laughs> yeah, you just get used to saying that, right? Yep. <laughs> but the funny thing is humor, the best humor is found in truth. And we, we had a good laugh about that afterwards. And uh, so we're going to look at what God says about that today. What does God say about husbands today? Last week we mentioned that marriage is ordained by God, orchestrated by God. So the next logical progression for that is if marriage is, then necessarily God has a design for husbands as well. And we mentioned last week that one of the purposes that, that God gave to man was the need to protect and care for the woman, the wife. And marriage, if you look at it, it hopefully civilizes you. Guys, did your life change after you got married? Did it kind of calm you down? Ken's looking at Sherry going, well, did it? (laughs) And Sherry's like, no, not really. (laughs) Hopefully, you became more civilized after you got married. Hopefully, your lifestyle changed. Hopefully, you're not doing the same thing you did at 20 now that you're 40 or older than that. So our verse we've been using for is, uh, we talked about last week, is Genesis 2.24. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. So for marriage to exist, there obviously has to be a husband and wife. Now, we're going to look at a couple of verses about the role of husbands. In other words, for husbands to be successful in God's eyes, what does he require of us? The first thing he requires of us is that we have to understand what really matters in your life. Now, I'm gonna read a verse, I'm gonna read the first part of the verse, don't put it up yet, okay? Because I'm gonna read the first part, and we all know this first part, it says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. We all know that verse, right? Do we know what it says after that? Now, this is the chuckle, it says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under under the sun all your meaningless days. Now, that doesn't sound too too encouraging, right? It's kind of humorous, but actually, we're gonna look at, it's not as funny as we think it is, because Solomon is lamenting the fact that in the end, what happens? We all die, right? There's gonna come a time for everybody. And no matter how much wealth and, and stuff and wisdom that he accumulated, Solomon, and we know what, he was the richest guy, smartest guy, so he had it all. But he knew in spite of all of that, one day it's all gonna be gone, and he's gonna die. So what he wants us to do is look at the previous verses to understand why he said that verse. Now there's common things in life that that Solomon says we need to enjoy, we need to understand what really matters. The first one is happy, leisurely meals. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, 
Go eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God, fa- is now that God favors what you do. How many of you enjoy dinner time? Around your family, extended family. You enjoy being with them because eventually your kids aren't gonna be there and it may come that your spouse isn't there at dinner time. My mom died about 10 years before my dad and so he ate home a lot by himself and we would occasionally bring him and take him out but for the most part he would just make his own meals at home. And everyone, when I would visit him and we would talk about stuff and, and if you knew my dad, he was all about you know, getting material things and getting an education and doing well. He didn't, he, he dropped out of school to go serve in the war. But and he was all about those material things. But after my mom died, we would sit down and talk and he would start telling me all these things he regretted in his life. And he would say that he wasn't a good enough husband. He wasn't a good enough dad and he didn't do enough for us kids. And, and even though he did. But what was happening was he was realizing what was important to him, what really mattered. He was in his upper 80s, 90 at the time, and he he knew what was coming. And he was beginning to think about the things that were really important, not the material things that he had always wanted for us kids. But he was always talking about his relationships with my mom, with my brothers and I. That's That's what he cared about at the end. My sorrow is it took him till he was 90 to understand that. And when, and when Solomon says, enjoy food with gladness, sit around and talk, and today, put your phones away, <laughs> and have dinner, enjoy, it says, go eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. God enjoys when we sit down and eat. For those of you who have grown kids, and you, you watch them as they sit maybe with their kids and they have a great meal. As parents, we love to see that. It's really encouraging for us. And I believe God enjoys the same thing. When he looks down, he sees his family sitting around the table, enjoying them, just enjoying the moment. The second thing that Solomon tells us to remember what matters is joyful family celebrations and life in general. Now, I like this phrase. Wear fine clothes and a dash of cologne, Ecclesiastes 9.8. Wear fine clothes and put a little axe on. In other words, get dressed up on occasion. Take care of yourself. One of the things that happens as you get older is you don't care so much anymore. I noticed with my dad. He didn't care. He'd wear his pajamas all day long. Even if, you know, he wasn't going anywhere, but the Bible says, you know, get dressed up on occasion. Plan to do something. If you're doing this stuff, if you're wearing fine clothes, you're getting some of that Axe perfume on you. Guess what? You're probably not sitting at home. You're probably going out. You're planning to go and do something. You're probably going to go out with others. You're getting together with friends or your family, maybe even planning a romantic evening with your wife. He's saying, enjoy what really matters. Enjoy eating together. Enjoy getting dressed up and doing things together. Enjoy your time as a couple. Number three is faithful, loving marriage. And we started with this verse, Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. 
Because in the end, what's going to matter? The only thing that's going to matter is relationships that you have with your family and your friends. And most importantly, your relationship with Christ. Because we may all be at one point by ourselves. Now for my dad, I was up here, he was in Florida. My brothers were there, but they were busy. So he's by himself a lot. You may end up by yourself. The most important relationship you need is Christ. Because that relationship will never end. And, that, and Christ is always there. All the material things we gather through our life, at that point, is going to be meaningless. Number four, what else should we do? What else should we enjoy? It says hard work. Ecclesiastes 9 says, whatever you do, do well. Now, I think people, and especially men in general, enjoy and they get satisfaction from working. They get satisfaction from what they do. In fact, if you're around a bunch of guys, the first question they'll ask you is, what do you do? What's your occupation? And we like to talk about our occupation. We like that. And Solomon is saying, enjoy your work. Do it well. Don't, don't slough off and, and make a mess, but enjoy. Take pride in what you do as, as an accomplishment. And the Bible says we are able to take pride in stuff if we don't compare it to other people. In other words, you can leave, leave a platform saying, you know what, I did a really good job today. I built this thing and I did a really good job. I'm not comparing myself, I just realized that I put in the amount of time and effort and it rewarded me by being successful. So you are, it's okay to take pride in your accomplishments at work. Solomon's simply saying, enjoy your life, enjoy your family, enjoy your wife, and enjoy your work. But don't kill yourself trying to get the things that don't matter. And eventually, sometimes those things that we want will drive us away from God. How many find that to be true? When you pray for something and God starts pouring his blessing out upon you, what happens? Your relationship now becomes about the things that you own rather than your relationship with Christ. And now you begin to love it and you you just take time with it. Kids in their phones, TVs, whatever it might be, the things that God blesses us with can sometimes be a curse that drives us away from God. So it's okay to enjoy, we talked about this with the kids today, it's okay to enjoy the things that God has given us. Material things, the weather, the the place we live, we can enjoy all of that. As long as we don't put any of that stuff before our relationship with Christ. Now why did he say all these things? Why did he come to these conclusions? What matters? Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, for when you go to the grave, there'll be no work or planning or knowledge of wisdom. Nobody on their deathbed has ever said to me, I wish I'd have spent more time at work. Nobody's ever said to me, I wish I'd have spent more time fixing my car. I wish I'd have spent more time painting the house. Everyone I've talked to who has been in that position They're always talking about relationships and family and how God has ministered to them through that time. So we see what really matters now. What is our responsibility to attain those things? Because those those things don't come naturally to us. We're naturally selfish people. How many find that to be true? You want what you want, you want it now. 
So we have to work at focusing on the things that matter. Ephesians 5.27 says, And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you usually hear, you hear Father's Day sermons are usually, dads, step it up. Mother's Day sermons are, mom, we love you, you're awesome. How many have found that usually what happens? Well, sometimes it's right. Sometimes both are awesome. Sometimes both need to step it up. But the point is, there's things that we have to do and make a decision to do. The reason that God designed marriage in the family is so that we can have a respite from the world. That we could be away from the world and not be in it. I came across this quote from a poet, William Cowper, says this, the only bliss of paradise that has survived the fall is marriage, is relationship. Husband and wife's relationship is meant to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. So guess what, guys? We have a harder job than our wives do. Why? Because what did Christ do for the church? He died. Died for the church, right? He called us to be like Jesus, to sacrifice your wants and your needs to your wife's and your family's needs. Jesus gave it all up for his church, and we as husbands are designed and required to do the same. When they were taking Jesus to the garden, and Peter starts hacking off this guy's ear, what did Jesus say? He says, I could call down 10,000 angels to get my way because I'm right, but he didn't. He sacrificed himself, he sacrificed his right. He, he was right, he could have done that and he'd have been totally in the right to do it. But he didn't because he was serving us as people. Husbands are to do the same. What are we to do? We're to be the leader. Now this is not a dictatorial leader but one who accepts responsibility for the position that God has given him. Wasn't Harry Truman that says the buck stop here, buck stops here? In other words, any result, any decision, any outcome, the ultimate responsibility rests with the husband. Husbands are the ones with whom the buck stops. Now when, when Timothy or Paul talks to Timothy about leaders in the church, he says this in 1 Timothy 3, 2. He says, for an elder must be a man of, whose life cannot be spoken against. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exhibit self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home and be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, peace-loving, and not one who loves money. He must manage his own family well and the children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? The husband is given a great responsibility in leading the family. How many know who John Maxwell is? He's like a leadership guy. Used to be a preacher out in California. And he says all leadership is influence. We influence our families by our actions, how we live. We've said it before a thousand times, more is caught than taught. How do we influence him by the way we live? It almost doesn't matter what you say if you can't back up what you say by how you live. 
Maxwell also says that the lowest form of leadership is by title. In other words, if a leader has to say, because I'm the boss, that's the lowest form of leadership because they're doing it out of fear. You're driving them. That person who says you do it because I'm the boss has a little influence on the people he's trying to lead. They'll do it out of fear, not because they want to, not because they they love to do it. That type of leader won't be leading them, he will be driving them. What does the Bible say we are? We are sheep, right? What do you do with sheep? You lead sheep. You don't drive them, you lead them. You drive cattle. For someone to have influence means you're leading them in the way you want to go. They want to follow you because they want to follow you, not because you're making them follow you. I wasn't sure about this one. What is the difference between dedication and devotion? You can be dedicated to something, but not devoted to it. You can be dedicated to your job, but you're not devoted to your job. You can be dedicated to doing a good, to fixing something, to making something right, but you're not devoted to it. You can be dedicated to your marriage, but not devoted to your wife. Dedication makes you a good worker. Devotion makes you a good leader because you love the person. Dedication is leading by title. Devotion is leading by love. In other words, if something happens, we take the responsibility. We're the ones. We don't pass the buck. We don't place the blame. We don't give excuses. We stand between the bullet and our wife. We don't stand behind them. If you're a good coach on a team, the coach, a good coach, takes the blame when the team loses. And a good coach gives credit to the team when they win. Even though the coach isn't playing, he knows the buck stops with him. And ultimately, the responsibility is his. Husbands, are we that type of leader? It says husbands are also providers. First Timothy 5.8 says, for, for those who won't care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household, how they have denied what we believe, such people are worse than unbelievers. Now this is not talking about men working, women not working. It's not what it's talking about. The passage in context is about spending and squandering the money that you do have on things that you don't need, things you can't afford. The Bible says here, those who won't care. It doesn't say those who can't. If you're spending your money on booze, gambling, hobbies, whatever it might be, and you're doing that to the detriment of your family, you're denying things that your family needs because you have a private hobby going on over here, or you're a drinker, or whatever it might be, you're spending money on, the Bible says you're worse than an unbeliever. Your job is to put your wife first and you second, which means booze, gambling, hobbies, things that you want to do take a back seat to what is best for your wife. Christ set the pattern for us as husbands. If we are to make Christ's love for the church our example, then we must love sacrificially. We must give of ourselves in a sacrificial manner. 
Christ gave his life for the church, we should be able to give our lives for our wives. Now, the Bible talks about living sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're living sacrifices. The problem with living sacrifices is they crawl back off the altar once you lay them on the altar. When we do that, we are living sacrifices. It's attempting for us to back out of that position. We are living sacrifices, and we should be we should be able to sacrifice what we want for our wives. An abbreviated Webster uh, definition says this, sacrifice is the act of giving up something that you want in order to help someone else. Jacob worked 14 years for Rachel. 14 years. He was willing to sacrifice 14 years of his life to get the woman he wanted. Now, he had Leah, but that wasn't what he wanted. He loved Rachel, and he was willing to sacrifice 14 years to be with her. If we are submitted to Christ and filled with God's spirit, we should be willing to pay the price for our wives to be what God has designed for them to be. Which means our love for our wives should also be a sanctifying love. Ephesians 5.25 says, and you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her, what? To make her holy and clean, washed by baptism and by God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Our job is to make our wives as holy as we can, and that means doing for them and encouraging them and lifting them up? How do we help them become better? What do we say that blesses them? What do we say that encourages them? Do we constantly give them words of encouragement or do we constantly give them words of discouragement? Are we nitpickers? Do we say things that criticize or do we say words of encouragement to lift them up? Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath but harsh words stir up anger. You ever feel a fight coming on? What's the Bible say? A soft word stops that fight. You ever go into a department store and you, or any, any retail outlet or call someone on the phone and you're just ready because this store, they wronged you and you're out to get your pound of flesh and you're ready to go and you're, you're ready to do battle with this company because they were wrong. And as soon as they answer the phone, they are really as nice as pie to you over the phone. What happens? You no longer have that fight in you. You no longer have that desire to really duke it out. Why? Because it's right. A gentle answer turns away wrath. We should have gentle answers to situations like that. Colossians 3.19 says, And you husbands must love your wives and never treat them harshly. Our job is to lead them, provide for them, encourage them, help our wives be the best that they can be. And finally, our job is to protect them as well. 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Weaker doesn't mean second place, doesn't mean inferior. It simply implies that generally, men are stronger than women, which goes back to the beginning. We said our job is to protect them, surround them. 
our job and this responsibility that God has given us. And if we fail in that, if we fail to do that, what happens? God says there's a consequence for that. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, if you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. Wow. God will turn a deaf ear to you if you're not treating your wife right. And if God's not listening to you, he's probably not watching out for you. He's probably backing up, saying, okay, dig your own grave, buddy. I'm not answering your prayer until you start doing what you know to do. However, if you do these things, if you do what God tells us to do, and you honor them and care for them and love them and cherish them and and provide for them, Proverbs 5, 18 says this, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. I read an article the other day about that verse actually. Why does it say the wife of your youth? Because when we all get married, we're young. We look good, usually. As you get older, things change, right? But the wife that you married at 20 is still the wife when she's 60. Physically, we may have changed, but she's still the person in here that you married at 20. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. If we take our responsibility seriously, our wives will be a blessing to us. And we'll talk about that next week as wives. I might have Anna do that one. I'm not sure. I was actually asked Pastor Keith to to do on the uh, uh, wives submit passage. He declined. He's got to go home. Okay, I get it. If we do our job, then what God tells the wife to do will be easy for her because we will be doing it first and her response to that will be in response to how we treat them. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. If you do it, she will. If you don't, she won't because she will now be reacting to your lack of being what God wants you to be as a husband. Would you stand as we close this morning? If you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. The Bible tells us the most important relationship we have, the most important is the relationship we have with Christ. And once we have that relationship, the Bible says that God now gives us the ability to make the next step succeed, which is marriage or husbands and wives. God gives us that ability. God gives us the power to be able to overcome life setbacks. God gives us the spirit of God which encourages us to to press through difficult times. Because the longer you've been married, you know that all life isn't rainbows and sunshine. You will have difficult times. You will have challenging times. But the point God's trying to make says rejoice in the wife of your youth. When you get old, 
Rejoice in the same person you married years ago because that's God's design. And God gives you the ability to make it. I'd be remiss if I didn't offer this chance for you here this morning. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that we who believe on him shall have eternal life and not perish. And everyone here in this room will one day come to the point where your life ends. And you have to ask yourself, are you ready for that? You read every day about car accidents, health issues, We really have no guarantee of tomorrow. So what we do now is we prepare for what happens if that time arrives. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you get that right with God. Today is the day you plan and prepare for what happens when that day comes. We may not get a chance later on. We may not get a chance on our deathbed The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He wants to come into your life. He wants you to have that relationship with him. He wants it so badly that he died to make it right. And all he requires of us is not a bunch of rules and regulations and things we gotta do. He simply says, if you believe it, not just in your head, but you believe it in your heart, believe that Jesus died so that you can be right with God. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. If you're here this morning, you've never done that or it's been years since you have done it and you've done nothing with it. You're not here by accident or coincidence. The Bible, Bible talks about God orchestrating situations in order to get done what he wants done. If you're here and you're thinking about God, it's because God is making you think about him. The Holy Spirit is prompting you to think about him. But he leaves the choice to you. He asks you to open the door, to let him in. And it's a choice we all have to make at some point. Do we believe what Jesus says or do we not? And if you're here, I believe that you want to know the truth. And you want to know and you want to believe that what Jesus says is true. So if that's you and you really want to know, you really want to have this experience, you want to know what all this Jesus talk is about, trust me, it makes a radical difference in the way you think. Just the point that you say, I believe, it changes how you think. It doesn't change everything. It doesn't change who you are. It just changes how you think. If you're here and you want that, I want you to raise your hand right now. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Jesus, that you you meet us where we are. With all our fears and failures and sin, you meet us where we are. And we're thankful that we're here this morning. We thank you that you came into our lives to transform us from what we were to what we are today. Lord, I pray your blessings upon all the husbands here. I pray that, God, you would continue to fill them with your spirit, your wisdom, 
Allow them to be what you want them to be. Not even necessarily what their wife wants them to be. If we are what you want us to be, then we know that we will be a blessing to our wives. Help us to be what you have called us to be. Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here today. As we leave this morning, allow us to really know that you are here. That God, you're here to change lives, to transform situations, and to heal. Father, we love you this morning. We just pray you would go before us in all things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a tremendous day today. Have a tremendous week. Bring you back on Wednesday night as we continue to study through what God is doing in the emotions. And uh, be back here next Sunday as well.